Welcome to GRIT, the Real Estate Growth Mindset Podcast, hosted by Brian Charlesworth, founder of Sisu. Sisu provides growth automation software for real estate. You'll hear stories from real estate thought and technology leaders, team owners, and brokers on how they grew their business in a rapidly changing industry. You'll learn how to transform your brokerage and teams into a high-performing and analytics-driven business so you have a new, durable, competitive advantage against disruption in your market. So let's get right into it. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the GRIP podcast. Super excited today to have Joe Herrera on with me. Joe, I just met Joe about a month ago, and um, super excited to have him on with me today. So uh, Joe's background, I know he has done a lot of things that I want to dive into today from real estate to starting tech companies to being a master marketer, you know, so, some things that I think a lot of you guys are going to find entertaining. So anyway, thanks for joining us again. My name is Brian Charlesworth. I'm the founder of Sisu and your host of the show. And so welcome to the show today, Joe. How is everything going? Awesome. It's great. It's uh, the weather's great here in Vegas. We get about nine months of the year that are awesome. The other three months are terrible, which is why I'm buying a house up in Utah so I can get out of the heat. But it's You're great. A house in Utah? Well. Yeah, Parowan. Okay. Uh, I just told my wife last summer, I was like, I, I do this heat. So anyways, we, we found a house. We're going to spend some time up there in the summer and Airbnb at the rest of the time. It's going to be awesome. Okay, good for you. I didn't know that. So Vegas, did you grow up in Vegas? I did. Yeah. So my dad came home from Vietnam, became a telephone installer for the Bell Network. So Pac Bell became Nevada Bell. So I was born in Carson City. Um, we moved down here in Vegas. So I'm a lifelong Nevada guy. Um, moved down to Vegas when I was about six years old, six or seven. Okay. Uh, so I've, I've been in Vegas for the most part my whole life. So you are the first person I've ever met. And I actually used to own a business in Vegas. You are the first person I've ever met that actually grew up in Vegas and stayed in Vegas. Everyone that's in Vegas is a transplant. Is a transplant, right? It's becoming worse and worse too as California raises their taxes. The infrastructure back east is terrible. People keep flocking to Utah, Nevada, yeah. places like this. But yeah, so actually my wife's born and raised here. I'm born and raised here. So it's uh, we love we love Vegas. Cool. Well, I'm never going to be able to say again. I you know. But I <laughs> don't know anybody somebody who grew up in Vegas and stayed in Vegas. So yeah. congratulations on that one. Thank you. So Joe, I'm excited to, to dig in with you today. I would love for you to share a little bit more about your background and just kind of maybe let's go back as far as how you got into real estate first. Yeah. And then maybe we can dig into your, your time as a tech entrepreneur as well. Yeah. So it's kind of, it's kind of strange. Um, I come from a long line of uh, <laughs> alcoholics and uh, paycheck to paycheck living individuals. Um, so on, on my mom's side, like a funny story, my grandpa was one of the early cartoonists for Disney. So they were at the opening day of Disneyland, 1955, July 17th. Wow. Never met him because he left when my mom was a little girl. My mom moving to Nevada, she, she was a compulsive gambler. So obviously that's probably not where you expected this to start, but uh, she left when I was like 10 years old, but growing up in Vegas, we have slot machines in every gas station and grocery store. And so when I was a kid, she used to tell me like, Hey, I, I'm going to play the slot machines. We'd sit there for hours. And on the way home, she'd say, you know, if you don't tell your dad, I won't make you do your homework, which is kind of super destructive. And, um, but the funny thing is that led to me getting terrible grades, 
So I graduated high school with like a 1.6 GPA. I barely graduated. And so after my, after high school, I, I, I went on a two-year mission for my church. Coming home, I think a changed person. I, I wanted to make something of myself. I wanted to break those generational chains that kind of held me down and, and have led to kind of irresponsible living and the whole family dynamic. And so I knew that I didn't want to go to college. I, if I could get in at all, I didn't want to get in. Um, and so my two options at the time were insurance and real estate, because I knew I was a good salesperson. So I figured I either would take little paychecks with big residual income that would come from insurance, or I would take big checks with no residual income that comes with real estate. So I ended up top producer here in Vegas, a guy named Frank Napoli. I got my real estate license. I, I drove his limo while I was in real estate school. He had a limo that he used to show houses with, which was awesome. And, uh, and then I, as soon as I got my license, I went out and knocked my first door. And I think the third door I knocked, I just said, hi, my name's Joe. I'm a realtor and I'm looking for people looking to sell their house. The guy was willing to sell. And so that was like kind of my entry into real estate. It all kind of came from a desire to have what my family never had and a willingness to do what my family's never done. And that's kind of been, you know, why I got into real estate. I, I actually wanted to be a personal injury attorney, uh, but I wasn't willing to pay the price to become one. Like I didn't want to go to school for eight years to, to be one. So real estate, it was real estate or insurance were the two options for me. That's interesting. You know, uh, I don't, I don't know exactly what the stats are. I heard uh, about a year ago that I think it was around over 60% of realtors and it might be higher than that, but it was over 60% of realtors uh, didn't have a college degree. And so, you know, you hear that stat and it's, it's so interesting to me because realtors used to be realtors, right? I think realtors now are business builders in many, many cases. And so there's a, there's a clear difference. So when you got into this industry, you know, every realtor, how long have you been in the industry now? 20 years. Okay. So like, as long as I can remember, and I, any team owner is going to tell you the same thing. If you ask someone coming into the business, how much do you want to make? They're always going to say hundred grand, right? They're always, yeah, always. Going to, they're yep. always focused on, I want to make six figures, right? Right. And now, you know, you have people like yourself who, you know, you've built this super real estate business that how many, you have how many agents now, Joe? A little bit hard to reach that exact number. So locally, I think we have 120 agents and then we have a team in Utah and Arizona, and then we we receive compensation from almost 400 agents. So we've built kind of like this so your team situation is, where, you know, we've got 400 agents we work with. So you have 400 agents you work with and approximately 120 of those on your team? Yeah. So we have, we have 20 core team members that are every day in the office full-time. And we have about 50 agents that we provide leads and and technology for that are on splits with us. Then we have another, you know, 300 agents that we mentor and coach and and receive a little bit of compensation that way. Okay. So you guys, anyway, it's, it's fascinating to me how people like yourself, you know, you want change, you want to, you want to, Prove you want to break that chain that's been in your family right. lines, and you go from you know I'm going to sell some real estate to I'm going to build this massive business with 400 right. agents that are tied to me, and you know I, I don't have any idea how much money you make, but 
I do know that most people in your situation are making upwards of a million a year, which is more than you would have been making as, as a, you know, an attorney, right? Right, right. So the challenge with our industry is the outside perspective is I can work very little and make a lot. And so people enter the industry that way. So it is interesting that to my friends who are doctors and lawyers, they, because I'm a marketing guy, I do a lot of social media marketing. They think I play on Facebook all day. And, you know, I'm a realtor who just plays on Facebook, but the reality is I make a lot more money than a lot of them do. And I didn't have to go to school for 12 years. Um, But I think it's an insecurity real estate agents have as well, because you can create, but at the same time, when you look at the business practices of realtors, which I know is, is your whole thing is how do you, how do you create productivity through metrics and tracking and things like that? There's an insecurity that lies at the heart of a realtor of saying, I didn't pay the price that my doctor and lawyer friends did. So I'm not going to run a business the way they run it. I'm going to run around and be part Chip and Joanna Gaines and part accountant and part transaction manager and part handyman to try to almost prove to ourselves that, that we are something. So Building a business out of real estate has been a super fun endeavor, but it's just not, unfortunately, it's not the way a lot of realtors approach their life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a big part of how CISU was born, right? To streamline and automate the business and to help help realtors who are salespeople to become great leaders. But right. so Joe, you got into real estate and then how did you get into marketing? Like- Marketing has so, been a big part of your real estate career, but how, how did that happen? Because that's very uncommon. Yeah. So back in 2007, at the beginning of the crash, Taylor and I, my business partner, we went down to Palm Springs and heard a guy by the name of, um, oh man, what's his name? A guy out of Canada who had his, his whole marketing was super unique. So if you've seen the billboards that are like, you know, we'll sell your home in 10 days or we'll buy it ourselves. Craig Proctor. So we went to a Craig Proctor seminar and it was all this advanced marketing. Um, at the time, the internet wasn't really much of anything, but he, he was, you know, billboards and postcards that would say, you know, if, if, uh, if your home doesn't sell in 10 days, I'll buy it cash or whatever it was. And so then we started messing around with Craigslist running similar type of ads and got similar type of results at around that time though, we sold a real estate brokerage and I just became super burnt out in the real estate industry. And that's when I went into the more dove into the tech industry spent two years not actively doing anything in real estate when the tech experiment failed, came back into real estate in 2014 full-time. It kind of blended those two things together, like unique marketing concepts that real estate agents can do. The thing that I learned from Craig is he did what everyone else could do, but he just talked about it in a way no one else was willing to talk about it. And so I blended that with social media and technology And so in 2014, we started executing on Facebook and Instagram. Well, Facebook first, eventually Instagram. And like this year, we'll close 300 transactions because of Facebook. We have 50 deals in escrow right now that are leads we generated on Facebook. And so it's become kind of the bread and butter, the bedrock of our business. But it almost came out of failure, like failing at our tech company led to us leveraging technology marketing um, to, to fuel our whole business. Okay. So that's very unique. And I think, you know, because it's so unique, it allows someone like Zillow or someone like realtor.com or Redfin, or, you know, list goes on and on companies to come in and, and create marketing companies to generate leads. Mm -hmm. 
because there are so few of you doing that actually right. in the real estate space. So I want to I want to back up just a little bit though. You talked about selling a brokerage and you just blew right over that. So you went from Craig Proctor, which by the way Craig is still around. He sends us tons of customers. Yeah, and yeah, he's awesome. Uh, yeah, we 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 love Craig Proctor and his network. But so you did that, and then you grew this company, this brokerage. Was that an independent brokerage? So what happened was in 2010, our Remax, which was the largest Remax in Nevada, they killed it. We got called down to city center and there was people spitting fire and midget kiss and all this stuff. Like, I'm not kidding. Like 500 agents showed up to a ballroom at city center and they said, congratulations, you're no longer Remax agents. You're now belong to better homes and gardens. And we're like, okay, that's not the worst thing. They're like, there's a 6% franchise fee. You know, Remax agents at their core, super independent, you know, paper transaction type thing. So we walked out of that meeting with midget kiss and fires spitting and everything. And we're just like, you know, what do we want to do? So there was a, a partner of ours or a guy that we knew pretty well that said, Hey, let's just open our own brokerage. So it forced us because we didn't want to be better homes and gardens guy with the 7% override on all of our business to open our little indie brokerage. So we opened a brokerage here in Las Vegas called simply Vegas. It was an indie brokerage. By the time Taylor and I sold in 2012, I think we had built it up to 150 or 175 agents. So we sold that brokerage to back to our partner that that was our first kind of brokerage exit at that point. So, so are you, I don't know if you're willing to talk about this, but I think there are a lot of people that build brokerages into indie brokerages with the intention right. of selling those and right. maybe not quite as much as there used to be, but I'd love to, if you would be willing to dive in to like, what kind of multiples do you get on a brokerage like that? I think that, I think that's extremely valuable for people who are, possibly heading down that road, right? I mean, is that the best thing you could have done or, or is there better? So love to hear yeah, some detail it, behind that. Yeah, it's, it's hard because if you follow the poet Rascal Flats, you know, they said, you know, God bless the broken road that led us to where we are. So I'm so happy and excited about my world right now that it's hard to look back and say anything was wrong because it just all led to this yeah. amazing world that I live in now. The fact is- Okay, so uh, may, maybe I could ask you in another way. So- when most people sell a business, they sell a business so they can retire. Sure. Now, not me. Like, I think that's changed a lot too. A lot of people say, I want to retire. Well, maybe it's, I want to be independently wealthy. In my opinion, if somebody retires and as soon as they sit on, you know, sit on the couch and that's how they spend their days, their life's over. Right. So right. keep growing no matter what you do. But I guess the question is, did that, did that put you in a position to where you were independently wealthy and didn't have to work again? No, it didn't. Okay. So yeah, at the time, owning a brokerage was the only option. Like that was, we either would work for someone and pay them a split or transaction fees, or people would work for us and pay us a split or transaction fees. So at the time in 2010, that was our best option. We, we, I, we made a couple of hundred thousand dollars or something. Like it, it wasn't life-changing. It wasn't like, you know, I think we went out to dinner uh, we might've gone on a trip or something, but there wasn't any like massive, wasn't like, Oh, our world has changed now. Uh, because the fact of the matter is brokerages don't make that much money and brokerages like ours that were dependent on us to run it and, or be the face of it, lose their value involved. And so like, if someone hit me up right now and said, Hey, Joe, I want to start an indie brokerage. My response to them would be, there's just such a, a better way to do things. But at the time, the options that were laid before us, 
Realty One Group had just launched in Vegas not long before that. Kuba was killing it. So we were like, hey, let's, what if we start a Realty One Group spinoff, but you know, maybe with a little bit nicer office, right? Everything's a small, like rip off and duplicate R&D off of the, yeah. the previous model. And so it's like, well, what if we create Realty One Group, but you know, with a classier image or whatever. And it worked to the tune of, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars or whatever. We made some money, but it wasn't, it wasn't like game over time. Like, man, do I want to work? Still had to work. Yeah. There was no option yeah. for us at the time. But like looking what it led us into, it led us into starting a tech company. Uh, the tech company had nothing to do with real estate. It was an event-based algorithm where I could say, I'm going to be in Salt Lake, December 14th through the 18th. Show me all the events that are happening cultural concerts, sporting events. And we partnered with Shaquille O'Neal and, and we were publishing events for Neff and Skull Candy and all these awesome companies. Um, and it failed. We ultimately couldn't get user adoption, but it was almost like selling the brokerage. Let us try that. Letting us try that. Let us back to real estate. And with that knowledge and experience we had into building our marketing engine that we use now to, to fuel our whole business. Okay. So you built, I mean, you came in and you're obviously an entrepreneur, right? You, you right. built, you sold a brokerage. I don't care what amount it was. You built a brokerage, right? 175 agents, you sold it. You then go and you start this tech company. How much money did you raise in your tech company? A million. Raised a million. Okay, so you raised a million dollars. You and were it was there like friends and it was the worst kind of money you can raise. It was like friends and family. Like it took... To even talk about it now is crazy because I know you've been in this space before and you you may have had some 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 losers, but like that loss was the most painful like business thing I've ever went through. Like these were people that I loved and cared about. And at the end of it, we had nothing to show for it and no money. And it was like, sorry guys, it was it was the worst. But anyways, yeah. So we raised, so taking, raised friends and family taking money. Chunks, taking chunks of money from friends and family. Mm -hmm. hoping to make them millions, doing everything you right. can to just, right. I mean, I'm sure your world at that time was whatever it takes, working super long right. hours. Right. Right. We're going to do whatever it takes to prove this out. And then all of a sudden, here you are two years later and you're like, we're done. Like, how, how did right. you decide to end? That's always a, you know, it's a hard one, right? Do you, do you keep trying to figure it out and shifting it? Or do you just say we're done? How did, how did you guys come up with that decision? So we ran it. So at the time we Instagram had just been acquired by Facebook and all people cared about, there was not, there was no discussion of profitability. It was all about daily active users. That's all that people cared about at the time. So like we, we met with, uh, so my next door neighbor growing up, believe it or not, was uh, we lost touch for four or five years. And then he showed up and he Facebook friend requested me. And there were all these pictures of him and, Jimmy Fallon and all this stuff. It turns out he started a company called dig.com and he ran a, a podcast called dig nation. He was one of the early investors in, in Twitter and Google ventures and all this stuff a guy named Kevin Rose. So we met with Kevin a bunch and he was like, Hey, tech companies that don't come out of the Silicon Valley, they're just never going to make it. You've got a good idea. Ideas are a dime a dozen. So we we're going through this whole process and we got to a point to where it was like Shaq uh, was our partner. Like we were, texting every day and he was talking about us on Twitter and like he was doing everything he could to help us grow and our just daily active user count never changed like we couldn't we got 80,000 users downloads and then 1200 people would show up every day to use the app 
And so we couldn't raise institutional money because we didn't have enough daily active users. And we just didn't have the, we, we couldn't go back to friends and family again to raise more money. So we just kind of came to a, we could keep executing on this and trying, but we can't get the money we need institutionally. We don't have the heart to, or to go back and try to raise more friends and family money. So it was like, I don't remember exactly the day. It was 2014. We had, you know, as a, as a tech entrepreneur, you'll know you've got, you've got nine, 90 days of roadmap and then 60 and then 30. And it's like, all right, we can make one more payroll and we could pay the AWS, the Amazon Web Services, like one more time to keep the app active. But it was like, you know, we've got to get an infusion of money. And so we just, we just hit a point to where we're like, all right, it's, you know, we gave it a, a good try. So it was, it was sad. I, I wouldn't, I, I threw all the gear out of my house. I didn't want to see any shirts and hats. My kids loved wearing our swag. We threw it all away. Like anytime an old Facebook reminder post would come up, it was like a, a punch in the gut. So it was painful. Yeah. I've experienced, I've experienced those. So I think most people, well, maybe not most people, but there's, there's just a, a certain personality that is going to go through something like that and get back up. And, you know, you guys were told by this guy in Silicon Valley that you need to be in San Francisco. You're never going to be able to do this. Do you know how many times I've been told that in my life? The great thing about this world is I no longer longer hear that. Those companies are all moving out of San Francisco today. So that that has shifted anyway. Anyway. So you, you make that decision and now it's like, Hey, we're back in real estate. Real estate is what we know. And now we're going to take some of these things we've learned and apply them in real estate. Is that kind of how you, you made that next move? If you've been enjoying grit, please help us continue to grow the channel by leaving a five-star review and sharing it with a friend. Now back to grit. Yeah. So it was Taylor kind of kept running the real estate company the whole time. And so it was like, hey, let's get back in, but let's do it different. And so he found the big thing was let's use social media to blow up our real estate career, like blow up in a good way. Like let's use social media to, to, to put us on steroids. And so he found a company uh, out of out of Boston, a company called Curator that was like uh, social media for real estate agents. So we started messing around with that. We were running there. You'll remember back in the day, the automated like how much is my home worth ads on Facebook. Yeah. Um, so we we ran some of those and then we remembered our Craig Proctor lessons and we we're like, well, what if we do it creatively? And so it was kind of like, you know, I told Taylor, like, I've got to do this different. I can't, I can't get back into the just going out and showing houses and doing the same old thing anymore. And so we ran our first couple of test ads. I remember we took crappy pictures of an old house, put it on Facebook and said, Hey, great deal. Hit us up if you want any information. And people started hitting us up and I think we generated like 20 leads that day. And I was like, hey, maybe there's something to this, you know? And so it just kind of caught on that way. We didn't under, understand at the time some of the psychology that goes behind social media, you know, like attractive people are the most clicked upon items in the on the internet. And then after that, it's probably attractive houses. And then after that, it's probably food. And so there was a lot of stuff we had going for us that we didn't realize. But running our tech company taught us the value of social media and what can be done. And so... Then uh, moving into kind of the reboot, it was like, well, let's leverage what we what we learned to to blow it up in real estate. And what year was that? 
14. 14 is when the tech company shut down um, and when we kind of got back all in on real estate. Okay. So from 14 to 2021, I guess, you ran this independent brokerage. So for seven years. We stayed where we were. So we stayed, we kept our licenses at our old brokerage uh, until 2016. So in 2016, we realized it'll be cheaper to run our team out of our own office and cut our own paychecks. We were doing enough business and had enough agents. And it was like, rather than paying 500 bucks a a transaction to that guy, we'll just pay it to ourselves. So we opened Love Local Real Estate in 2016. Um, Started with 10 agents, built it up to 140 agents by 2021. Okay. So same premise, same premise, like a a, a nice office version of Realty One Group is basically what we were. Okay. So, and Realty One has actually pretty nice offices. So you guys must have really nice office. So, so now you go 2021, all of a sudden you're saying, Hey, we can make more money or we could do better. We could do things different. I don't know what your thought process was, but you go from running an independent brokerage to now you're a part of, you made recently made a move into real brokerage, right? So like how, yeah, how, so did, you, how did you guys decide to, to get back involved with another brokerage rather than just sticking out with your independent brokerage? So our number one pain point as brokerage owners was attrition. Like there, there, we couldn't, we can recruit. We knew we could. So we could bring on 80 to 100 agents a year. But statistically speaking, of those 80 agents we bring on, 25 of them are going to leave. So it was like this two step forward, one step back, two step forward, one step back. And the, the biggest pain point we had was our we would bring an agent into our world and help them succeed. So in six months, they will have closed eight or 10 transactions. And then they became like the number one target for every other indie brokerage in Vegas. They'd call them and say, Hey, I know what your splits are. We can be do a little bit better. Or, you know, like, Hey, if you come over here, we'll put you on a billboard or whatever stupid offering there was. But that became our biggest pain point was we bring on 80, 20 of them are going to leave. And of those 20 that leave 10 or 15 will be the ones that we actually help be successful. And then Mm -hmm. the other five will be people who do nothing. So I hated that funnel of come in, and then our top producers are like bait for every other indie agent or indie brokerage in Vegas. So we were approached by another shop, a national brokerage that wanted to enter into Vegas. And they, they offered to buy 51% of our company for, you know, a couple million dollars. So we'd net cash of 500,000 bucks or whatever. And then, and then we get paid out the rest over a period of time. And you're not going to tell us who that was. <laughs> <laughs> I have a guess. No, we signed an it. NDA and I don't know when that expires, but yeah, we could talk about it offline. So anyways, they came in and said, we want to buy you guys for $2 million. We'll pay you or 2.3 or something. We'll pay you 1.1. We'll pay you 40% of it now. And the other 60% is an earn out. You guys stay on as 49% shareholders. And, and then at that time, we took it, that offer to our mentor, a guy named Brett uh, down in Phoenix. And he was like, well, if you guys are open to other ideas, have you heard about Real Broker? And so at the time, we hadn't. We had been approached by EXP years ago. Um, and if I had a time machine, I'd probably go back and take that offer because I know a bunch of people who became millionaires. But so he kind of offered us a glimpse into what Real Broker was that solved all of our problems without us having to continue to grind at something that we were struggling at, at completing ourselves. So once I took the pill 
to realize there was a really good way for real estate agents. Like it was almost like the matrix, you know, like once I took that pill, I came to the conclusion that the traditional brokerage model is a unilaterally beneficial system where like as a broker, I was, I was making a little piece of everybody's business, but everybody was their own little Island. And at the end of the year, I would hand them a, a 1099 and maybe like a hoodie to say like, thanks for being awesome. But then there wasn't much else that I could offer them in the way of like helping them grow their business. So I could give them leads and I could do things like that. But it was always this trading commission packages for check stubs. And so we saw in real an opportunity to partner with all of our agents. So we went to our hundred agents and said, hey, we want you to be our partners. So let's all become shareholders in the same company. So that was kind of, that happened. So June of this year, we made that transition from the indie brokerage into, into the real broker system. Okay, June. So almost six months now. Has that had an impact? It sounds like the main reason you did that, and maybe I'm wrong. It just sounds like it from your story. Main reason you did that was to reduce churn. Is that correct? Yeah. Reducing churn was a big thing. So we had a full-time recruiter and we were always recruiting other agents from other offices. And so we'd say, and, and we had kind of started looking at real similar financial concepts as EXP. And so EXP is like, Vegas is scorched earth for EXP. Like it's been here for, for years and everybody's been approached about it. And so we turned to our recruiter and said, hey, so talk about our recruiting efforts. And I think she was like, we brought on 10 agents this month. And I'm like, oh, great job. Where are they from? KW, we could always get KW agents. Realty One Group, we could always get Realty One Group agents. Uh, Brookshire Hathaway, yada, yada, yada. And I was like, that's cool. Well, who can't we recruit? And she said, I can't get a single EXP agent to even take my phone call. <laughs> and I was like, why? And she said, I, they keep telling me they have ownership. I don't even know what it means, but they own their company or they're getting revenue share or whatever. And I turned to Taylor and we were like, bro, there's our answer. Like we need to get into a world to where if we help someone succeed, it actually, they stay with us longer and become our partners for life as opposed to helping them succeed. And then they become like attraction bait for every other brokerage in Vegas. So coming on board real, we, in June 15th, we launched with 90 agents here in Las Vegas, and we're currently up to just shy of 400 in our network. So it's been... 5x growth almost uh, in that time. And I think by February, we'll probably end up with about a thousand agents that we work with. Uh, mentorship, coaching, lead generation. I love the expansion aspect of it. So it's changed our world that in Vegas, we had this brick and mortar office that we were restricted to. And, and since coming over, we opened a team up in Utah. Uh, so we've got five agents up there that we do lead. Because again, going back to my core as a lead generator. So we generate leads for that group up in Utah. We have another team down in Arizona. We do the same thing for. So it's just, for me, it's a dream world because there are no boundaries to my growth anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're now Nashville. Figured- you've, you've gone from being a local Vegas, call it brokerage, to, right. to being a national real estate company, basically. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I was just on the phone with someone from Canada and we're, we're launching in Oklahoma. And it like, is just so fun. Cause I, because of my unique skill set of lead generation, I generate realtor.com Zillow quality leads for one twentieth of the cost. It requires me. So I'm still kind of geeking out playing on Facebook, like my doctor and lawyer friends say I do. It's true, but it allows me to generate leads in any marketplace, plug and play 
And so now it's just who's the right person for us in Tulsa, Oklahoma, who's the right person in, in, you know, Buffalo, New York. And then we just get that team leader there. We start building around them and it's kind of, we'll take care of all the leads in the back end. You just go get us agents. And it's this perfect marriage of, of letting them be, because you know, better than anybody, Brian, like it's impossible for one human being to be a great lead generator, a great lead converter, a great uh, transaction organizer, like an agent that puts a deal together and a great transaction facilitator on the transaction management side. Most real estate agents try to be all four things, the rainmaker, mm-hmm. the, the filtration system and the, and the distribution system. It's, it's nuts. So we just very much compartmentalize our business and I go, okay, I am the rainmaker. And then we have our transaction management team and what we expect from an agent. And so like, as you can tell, I get really excited about this because I can just plug and play in any market and a national company like real allows me to expand. I don't have to get my license in Arizona or Utah or Oklahoma. I can just find that team leader, blow up their business and, and off to the races. So uh, thanks for sharing that. We're getting, we're getting short on time, Joe. So I have a couple other questions for you, but like, what are, what are some of the other key things you've done to your business this year, other than changing uh, from a indie brokerage over to a real brokerage? What are some other key things that you've done that have like made a difference in your business? I, I'm guessing there's other things that that attribute to your growth, but maybe maybe not. So, so this morning I was on a training. This this is going to sound like scripted. I promise you, it's not. But you shared something on Instagram last night about that your production will double 107 percent. I think team uh, team growth if you track your numbers, if you actually keep track of what you're doing. And one thing you've helped me understand is that for the last you know 20 years I've I've governed not governed I've led my team based on emotions so it's like so and so seems happy they're here on time <laughs> they're smiling they're fun in our team meetings like that's how we've ran our team taylor is much more analytical so he's helped us get the anal- he's the one that found CC. he's helped us get analytical but now i'm able to lead and guide based on statistics and numbers and effort. And like, it's just changed the way we look at our team. It allowed us to run the analytics to realize that to hit our, our core team production goal next year, we have to double the size of the team. In the past, it'd be like, well, how would everyone feel about this? And how does it affect morale and all these things, which are still important, but numerically speaking, if I want to produce X, I have to walk it back and start with a, which is the number of contacts we make have to improve. Well, if we improve the number of contacts, there are limits to human ability to reach contacts. So let's just double the number of people trying to get contacts, trying to set appointments. As you taught me, like the peak of the, the mountain is appointments met. How do we get more appointments met? Well, we have more people doing the other activities. So that's been a big change in our business is to focus on um, focus on the production activities and no longer lead a team based on emotion, but on numbers. We've opened a title company. We're working on mortgage. Um, so like we're really focused on if we have this one instance, which is the closing of a, a residential or commercial real estate transaction, how many different ways can we monetize that same, that same transaction? Mm-hmm. So rather than just saying we get buyer commission and a split, what if we say we get revenue share when anyone in our network sells a home? That's another deal. What if we say we get stock when we hit production goals. That's another one. What if we get a piece of title? What if we get a piece of mortgage? What if we offer them insurance? So we're really working on that ancillary piece 
to say, if we can direct a thousand transactions in our, in our world, how can we turn that into 5,000 pay points by monetizing that transaction in five different ways? So yeah, those, those are all things we're focused on this year. Those are great things to be focused on. And it, it obviously it makes me happy to hear that you guys are leading by numbers and, and results. And we are now, it's been emotion until this point. The, the fun thing about that is I see it over and over and over again. People will actually be attracted to your business because they know you're running your business that way. Yeah. Like that, that alone is an attractor. But then offering all of these ancillaries, I see more and more team owners today focused on the ancillaries because you guys are the first ones in with the, with the client right. and you kind of dictate where they go. So why, why give that business away to everybody else? You know, and you have, you now have the mortgage companies, Rocket Mortgage is coming into real estate, right? And so mm-hmm. it's uh, these boundaries of these different industries are all blending together right now. Um, so it's going to be- Well, and it, to your point, it always starts with that, that core, like if you look at a human relationship, intimacy is really the driving factor. It's like everything else is spawned from the desire for human connection and intimacy. Well, yeah. in real estate, Everybody wants to buy a house. Nobody like lenders are always like, we'll send you leads. Nobody goes, Hey, can I get a loan? And then let me go find a house. Every single buyer in the world says, let me find a house. Then I'll figure everything else out from there. So like accidentally we ended up at the top of the totem pole because everybody starts with, let me go see a house. And so now building those ancillary services becomes relatively easy. I would hate to be building from the, you know, mortgage company side or insurance side and saying like, Hey, let's, let's create some real estate transactions. Uh, the real, the realtor is the, the top of the totem pole that can make that happen. Yeah. I totally agree with that. Um, last question I have for you, like, what do you, I know you're a family man. What do you and your family like to do when you're not selling real estate? And my guess is because I know you're having fun now selling real estate. You just shared that with us. You're probably working more than you have in the past. Right. So how do you well, how do you how do you balance that with family life and what is it you like to do? What are some things you and your family like to do? Well, great question. I, I think you could probably agree. I, I tell my team and and my family all the time, like I'm more successful now than I've ever been, but I've never been so motivated. And I'm and I'm literally that's just a gratitude statement because I there I always wondered like if I get to a point to where I don't necessarily have to work for a while, would I stop? Because I come from that background of paycheck to paycheck. And so my paycheck to paycheck date is years in the future before I have to worry about that. So my family, we, we go to church every Sunday. We play a lot of golf. I put a golf simulator in our house. So me and my boys, I'm obsessed with time. And I've got a 17-year-old son that this summer he'll be heading out on a mission. And so he'll be gone for two years. So I bought a golf membership and I put a golf simulator in and it's where we connect. I figured out a long time ago that it's much easier for me to find out what he's interested in and come to his level than try to force him to be interested in what I'm interested in. Uh So it started with Fortnite, like four years ago, me and my son were playing Fortnite together. And then he came to me one day and said, dad, I want to play golf again. And I was like, let's go get a membership. And now I spend two to three afternoons a week with my 17 year old son playing golf. I spend four or five nights a week with my nine-year-old son on our simulator at home. We play par three courses and he's getting pretty good. We're buying that place up in Utah, which will be a family retreat for us to, to get away because I know you've got kids that have kind of grown up and I'm just really obsessed with this 
principle that my, my most valuable possession is not a car or a house or a real estate company. It is time. And all, and I had just have a little bit of it with my four kids, my 17 year olds going out next year. I've got a 15 year old that's got two more years, a 12 year old that's got four more years or five, five more years. And so it's like, I'm just obsessed with that principle that if I don't manage my time carefully with my family, while I'm super excited and motivated with my business, if I don't manage my time, I'll look back with a whole bunch more success and realize that I wasted all my time. So I now use my money to purchase time as opposed to my time to purchase money. So it's volleyball trips and golf, games of golf. We just went on a Disney cruise. So I like use my money to buy time with my kids as opposed to you focusing on using my time to create more money. Yeah, that's such great advice, Joe. I think we'll end on that. Uh, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. To all of our followers and listeners, please, if you haven't, go out, give us a recommendation, give us a rating. That helps us bring people like Joe on the show. And so, Joe, you really gave a different aspect. You have a totally different story than I've heard from a, anybody else in this business. So really appreciate you sharing that story with us today and including including the hard times, right? Including those losses. I think those are what make us stronger. And uh, congratulations on getting back up and winning that fight. Thanks, buddy. All right. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for joining us on our podcast. If you have an interest in a free seven-day trial of Sisu, go to sisu.co, S-I-S-U dot C-O. Make sure that you use the coupon code GRIT, that's G-R-I-T, to waive all your setup fees and receive a 10% discount on your subscription. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast and want to subscribe, search GRIT, the Real Estate Growth Mindset on iTunes, Spotify, or Podbean. And with that, we'll catch you next time. Take care.